going to go ahead and continue today in our uh, journey through just kind of getting started in the book of Isaiah. Um, chapters, we're going to look at chapters, survey chapters three and four today uh, in a message on this beautiful Mother's Day entitled Punishment <laughs> and Purification. Uh, you, hey, uh, could you pull my volume down just like a notch, just a little bit? Appreciate that. And so let's, uh, let's take our hearts to the Lord, okay? Father God, we just uh, thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your unending love and patience. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the conviction of your spirit and how you challenge us, challenge us and desire to change us. And God, um, that's our heart's desire is to be changed and to be made like Jesus. And so we give this time to you, and we pray, God, that you would be glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Man, somebody's calling. It's the Lord. He's calling you. You know what I'm saying. Listen, chapters 2 through 5 in the book of Isaiah are a proclamation of punishment and purification toward Judah and Jerusalem. And guys, we're going to read through this, and as we're reading through it, if you find yourself thinking, man, this seems harsh, uh, you're correct, it is. Uh, Jesus said it like this, he said, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, uh, of him they will ask the more. Listen, it is a great privilege to be a nation chosen of God to be the light of the world. Uh, to share with and show to the world the word and the ways of God, and to enjoy a particularly close relationship with God. And as you well know, great privilege will carry with it and create a great responsibility. Guys, there is no other nation upon the face of the earth outside of Israel that has been founded on the basis of knowing and glorifying God with the exception of the United States, which is why, in my mind, the United States will be subjected to a harsher judgment than any of its contemporary nations. Much like ancient Israel, rather than be a light to the nations around us, we've welcomed, walked in, and adopted the ways of darkness. You know, Israel had more light than any other nation. And when that light is rejected, it brings greater condemnation or greater judgment. Now, guys, I realize that the subject of God's judgment is not a popular one, okay? But it is a biblical one. And so with that, we want to look at it. We want to learn from it that our lives might be changed by it. Guys, make no mistake, God judges sin, Okay, so let's look beginning in chapter 3, uh, verse 1. For behold, the Lord, 
the Lord of hosts. Now, the reason, uh, just quick in passing, the first word Lord is a capital L and then lowercase, and then the uh, second word Lord is all uppercase is because it's two different words. It's Adonai or, or uh, you know, Lord as in it could be uh, like the boss or commander, and then the all caps is the Yahweh or, you know, uh, God, right? So it is the Lord God, okay? It could be... Uh, translated just the same and the lord of hosts the commander of everything in the universe all you know uh, takes away from jerusalem and from judah the stock and the store again stock and store same word but uh, masculine and feminine gender so it, it covers everything everything stock and store the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water the mighty man and the man of war the judge and the prophet and the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50, and the honorable man, the counselor, and the skillful artisan, the expert enchanter, I will give their children, uh, I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. The people will be oppressed, everyone by another, and everyone by his neighbor. The child will be insolent toward the elder, and the base toward the honorable. And when a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, you have clothing, you be our ruler, and let these ruins be under your power. In that day he will protest, saying, I cannot cure your ills, for in my house is neither food nor clothing. Do not make me a ruler of the people. Well, you get the idea, don't you? Uh, God is telling them that their condemnation will be felt in the form of deprivation. You, you understand, the judgment of God is going to visit upon, be visited upon the nation uh, by the means and after the manner of shortages. God will extract everything from them that they depend upon, that they take confidence in in or uh, find their security through. Now, guys, this may be new information to some of you uh, that one of the ways that God will judge or bring judgment upon a nation is through the shortage of supply, okay? But I want you to pay attention here because not only will there be a shortage of food and water, the stock and the store, the whole supply of water, the whole supply of bread, God tells them that he's also going to punish them by creating, listen to me, creating a shortage of competent leadership over the nation, okay? Everything that they look to Everything they take confidence in, uh, be it militarily, be it civilly, politically, spiritually, socially, economically, God's going to take it all away from them and leave them with weak, incompetent leaders that create such a mess that no one wants to be responsible for it, and the results of which will impact the entire nation. People will protest being put in power even over ruins. God says he's going to take away the mighty man, the man of war, the judge, the prophet, the diviner, the elder, the captain of 50, the honorable man. He's going to remove from them the counselor and the skillful artisan as well as the expert enchanter. 
Now, you know anything about the law of Israel, you already know that the diviner and the expert enchanter uh, were forbidden by the law. But these were people whom they were seeking after and placing confidence in. And so God says, look, I'm taking it all. Anything you trust in, anything you place your confidence in, anything you feel secure by, I'm taking it all away from you. Any semblance of competence would be taken, and incompetent, incapable, weak, and foolish leadership would be left in his place. Now, the fulfillment of this will be found in 2 Kings chapter 24. If you're a note taker and you want to read of it later, uh, it's when Nebuchadnezzar carried the nation off to Babylon. We read there also he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains, and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, all the craftsmen and smiths, none remained except the poorest people of the land. If there was anything of value about you that contributed in any way, you see, societally, he removed it. And it continues on. And he carried Jehoiachin captive to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officers, and the mighty of the land he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. All the valiant men, 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths, 1,000. All who were strong and fit for war, these the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I try very hard to separate the pulpit and politics. You know, I mean, God has not called me to hop up on a soapbox and, and preach uh, politics but to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, political persuasions, I understand, can be very divisive in their nature. And I have discovered that when a person's heart and mind is transformed through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ and the cross therein, all those other things get worked out. Amen. Having said that, when the text forces our focus upon it, uh, I will not shy away from it, okay? God is saying that one way, and oftentimes the most simple way, that he will bring judgment upon a nation is to curse them with incompetent, ungodly leaders. He simply gives the people what they want, what their wicked hearts desire. And don't be deceived and think, well, if this happens, uh, it'll be immediately recognizable uh, due to something like extreme poverty or people will be impacted in this manner immediately. Listen, incompetency can be put in power in the midst of extreme prosperity. Let's not forget what we read. If you have your Bible, turn back to chapter 2, because this is the same uh, prophecy. It's all within the same context. And here in chapter 2, uh, look at verse 7. 
where we read, their land is also full of silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses. There's no end to their chariots. Look at uh, verse 8. And their uh, land is also full of idols, and they worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. In other words, economically, militarily, technologically, things were booming, you see. So the effects of such judgment may not be seen or sensed immediately, but they certainly will be apart from the repentance of such a nation and the mercy of God. Now, some of you have kind of like had little uh, chuckles along the way. And, you know, the truth of the matter is some people wonder what relevance the Bible holds for today. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, uh, this should be speaking to the United States right now. And guys, I'm not even referring as much as you want me to, and, and maybe sometimes I even feel inclined to. Uh, I'm not even referring necessarily to any one political party, okay? I'm simply saying, where is the competent leadership in our nation? Federally, civilly, spiritually, I mean in our churches, in the political realm you'll hear the phrase, those of you, and I know, you know, I mean politics becomes more prevalent in all of our lives it seems in each passing day. And you'll hear the phrase, you know, the trickle down effect. But guys, the truth is, much to our own shame, when it comes to those who rule over us, we have, well, can I just call it the trickle-up effect? In other words, God says, your leadership is the expression of your own hearts. God gives the nation what it wants. You uh, want someone to say ungodly activity is okay? Or that sin is acceptable? You want a leader who will approve of reprobate lifestyles and legitimize illegal and destructive activity? You got it. You see, you want a government that will incentivize you not to work and inject $9 trillion into the economy in the form of stimulus and all of the rest, print over 20% of all the money that's ever been uh, printed or used in all in the entire history of the United States since the inception of its, uh, or since its inception in the year 2020 alone? Ladies and gentlemen, let's do it. Approximately, you guys, some of you keep up with this, probably way more than I do, but you, you know that at least 20, uh, give or take, food distribution plants have been burned to the ground in this country this year alone already. Uh, and uh, guys, I'm just, I'm just telling you, speaking of shortage, you're not hearing about it. No one's necessarily covering it or making a prevalent uh, you know, showing of it, but you may feel it before long. And let's not even get started on the energy shortage, and, and then let's, let's blame hyperinflation all on Putin and Russia and Ukraine and all. Guys, where's the competent leader? Okay? Now, sometimes I wonder, maybe you do too, like, it, it's like it begins to blow your mind, like, how can our nation 
you know, be so incredibly blind. And, you know, and I wonder how people can really see or really think or really believe the way they do. But guys, what we're reading here, if you're willing to receive it, is it's an expression of the judgment of God. Now, I know that's not a popular way to speak. And I know that I'm in danger of being bred. Some of may be squirming, like, how far is he going to go with this, you know? And uh, I can be branded as some kind of right-wing conspiracy, religious nut or whatever. But I challenge you. Just write this down. Read it. Romans chapter 1. Read Romans chapter 1. And you realize that when, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Paul wrote saying that when people reject their creator and worship creation, you know, man is the virus, the plague, it's Mother Earth we need to protect, right? And I'm not saying we don't need to take care of what God's entrusted to us, but when all of a sudden man becomes the plague and we got to protect creation, uh, you know, rather than worship the creator, the Bible says that God in his judgment, listen now, in his judgment will give them over to a debased mind, a debased mentality, an inappropriate, uh, illogical way of thinking, you, you see. And then he gives them, as we're reading here, the leaders that they want. And all of a sudden, the dots start connecting. It kind of begins to add up. Societal breakdown. Open, flagrant flaunting of sin. What was at one time shameful is now celebrated and put on every kind of movie or kids show in order to normalize and desensitize people to what the scriptures identify as sin. And it's all done under the banner of freedom. But liberty, guys, is not license. You understand that? People have perverted the freedoms and liberties we've been given. And now you will see this more explicitly in chapter 5. But now you are the problem uh, because, you know, you're the oppressor. You're the bad guy because uh, you want to honor God. And you want to keep sin in the shameful place that it belongs. Deprivation, desolation, devastation. Verse 5, the people will be oppressed. Look at this. Everyone by another... Man, if that doesn't sound like every news story, everyone trying to impose and enforce and inflict their ways on others, and you're the bad guy if you don't agree. And no one, verse 7, willing to take responsibility. Hey, man, don't put me in charge over this mess. You know, what's it really going to take to put the nation in order and, you know, Remember, remember when I'm going to say something unpopular right now, but, uh, you know, you can't fix an economy apart from a raising of taxes, you see, with all the national debt and all that. You remember even way back, George W., read my lips, no new taxes. I mean, he, no one wants to do it. Like, I'm not going to be the bad guy. Don't put me over this, you see. For Jerusalem, verse 8, stumbled... And Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. Uh, the look on their countenance witnesses against them and they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. 
Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil, look at it, upon themselves. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. And as for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, those who lead you cause you to err mm, and destroy the way of your paths. Ladies and gentlemen, don't miss this. Why would the city of Jerusalem be in ruins? Why would the nation of Judah fall? Underline it in verse 8. Because their tongue, or their words, and their doings, or their works, are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of His glory. This, this, this is the key to it all. This is the key. You take God out of the schools, you take God out of the courts, you take God out of the leadership of the nation, and what you'll have left is a people whose words and whose works are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of His glory. In other words, to rebel against the Lord is to invite the judgment of the Lord. Are you following me? Now, think about this, uh, because it's much easier to think that the things we do, we, we realize that, right? I mean, it's easy to think that the things that we do would be offensive to the Lord. But God says here that the things that we say are just as offensive and provoke the eyes of His glory just the same. Guys, God commands us to glorify Him by our words every bit as much as by our works. We are to speak the truth in love. Uh, we are to speak the things, the Bible says, necessary for edification. Uh, we are to uh, uh, have our words, or our words are to be, the Bible says, seasoned with grace. Listen, it's our words that reveal our heart, and God is always searching Come on, the heart. Uh, Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he said, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Isaiah says that the look on their countenance witnesses against them, you know, that proud arrogance of sin. Uh, they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. No such thing as closet sin and shame anymore, you see. Uh, people flagrantly declare it. They're proud of it. And notice what he says. He says, woe to their souls. Woe to their souls, for they have brought evil upon themselves. Guys, God didn't have to do anything unique or special to bring this judgment upon the nation. All he had to do was leave them alone. And, and they brought it all upon themselves. 
Again, write it down just so you can read it later. It's Psalm 14, the first three verses. Now, guys, the next time you read verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah chapter 3, replace the word Jerusalem with Washington, D.C., and Judah with the United States, and see if it sounds about right. Now, I'm not saying that these words uh, were written about us, but certainly there's application for us. Now, as for the righteous, those who know the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, he says, say to them, it shall be well with you. You shall eat the fruit of your doings. Now, guys, this doesn't mean that as believers we're never going to be caught in the fray. Okay, it doesn't mean that what's happening in the nation won't affect us or, you know, you got to remember when Nebuchadnezzar Uh, carried off the nation into Babylon, I mean, godly people went into captivity just as well as ungodly. I mean, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and anyway, this whole scenario happens because they were carried off into captivity. But the idea is that God sees you, He knows you, and ultimately, eternally, it will be well with you, okay? In other words, the righteous will never share the same fate as the wicked, Uh, You can mark it in the edge, uh, in your Bible there, whatever, etch it in down in there, Genesis 18, 25, the judge of all the earth will do right, okay? So the idea here is hang on. If you know the Lord, if you trust in the Lord, keep going. Don't give up. Yes, it's hard, but in the end, you will reap beyond anything you could ask for or even think, uh, the Bible says. Now, as for the wicked, the reward of his hand will be given him. Both the righteous and the wicked will be given their just reward, be it salvation, be it condemnation. Now, he says, as for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. Now, in this male-dominated, patriarchal kind of society, this would be a humiliating calamity. And, guys, we know, I want to say this, we know that at times God raised up a woman. You know, you, you think of Deborah was a tremendous godly leader. You think of Esther, you know, saving the entire nation. But what God's talking about here is entirely different, okay? God is telling them that what's coming is not going to be a blessing. It's going to be a curse. He says, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. Now, look at verse 13. It says, the Lord stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes. For you have eaten up the vineyard, and the plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you, and by the way, when he's talking about the vineyard, he's talking about the nation of Israel. And we'll see that more clearly in chapter 5 as well. What, What do you mean by crushing my people? You know how they would crush grapes, right? He's saying, you're the vineyard, you're crushing my people. You're extracting from them every little drop that you can possibly get. You see, he says, uh, you're grinding the faces of the poor, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I'm going to tell you something, guys. Look back at verse 13. Uh, It says, the Lord pleads and judges his people. If you're ever in a courtroom, which I pray you're not, at least in a scenario like this, 
Uh, and the prosecuting attorney is also the acting judge. I'm just going to tell you, you're going to be found guilty. Okay? Uh, you're going to be convicted of that which he's standing to plead against you. But he says, rather than protecting the poor and less fortunate under their leadership, they plundered them. They're not protecting them. They're plundering them. They're oppressing them. They see opportunity to enrich themselves off of them. And guys, it's bad enough to fail to help, but it wasn't just that. They weren't just passively failing to help. They were actively robbing the poor and taking advantage of their poverty so as to enrich themselves. He says, man, your houses are full of their plunder. You're, taking, you're just extracting from them everything you can possibly get. Look at verse 16. Moreover, the Lord says, because... Have I, have I said happy Mother's Day yet? <laughs> I, And you all look so beautiful. <laughs> because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet, therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion and the Lord will uncover their secret parts and in that day the Lord will take away the finery the jingling anklets, the scarves, the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, the veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments, and the headbands, the perfume boxes, the charms, and the rings, the nose jewels, the festal apparel, and the mantles, the outer garments, the purses, and the mirrors, the fine linen, and the turbans, and the robes. So, lest there be any confusion... The Lord makes it clear. It's not just the elders or the leaders of Judah who have sinned before the Lord. It's not just the men who have a part to play in bringing about the judgment of the nation. The women are equally a part of the problem. And far from esteeming others as better than themselves as the scriptures exhort us all to do in assuming that Stature, that position of humility, there was off the charts pride and pomp and haughtiness and conceit amongst the women of Judah. They were taken with themselves, you know. They had, well, the phrase is outstretched necks and wanton eyes. They were consumed now with outward appearance. They would dress and move through the streets and marketplaces in a way that drew attention to themselves. He says, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet, you know, taking those, and you kind of see it in Eastern uh, cultures, they take those dainty little steps, and, and they would take those dainty little steps, and their ankle uh, bracelets would jingle, and, and they would turn attention their way, and then they would look at the men who gave them their attention with those wanton eyes and seductive uh, flirtation kind of uh, gazes and all. And I want to be clear here because the Bible doesn't teach that uh, God doesn't want women to look nice or uh, 
dress in a fashionable way, you know, makeup is great and all of that, okay? Uh, it's always about the motive of the heart. They were dressing, and I, I can just say it, they were dressing in such a way as to be sexually seductive and promiscuous. Their goal was to draw men into a sexual immorality by flirtatious mannerisms, uh, devoting themselves to outward appearance. Now, are you hearing me today in this materialistic society in which we live? They were devoting themselves to outward appearance. You see what it says here. Ankl look, at all, look at all of the detail that God includes here. Anklets, scarves, crescents, pendants, bracelets, veils, headdresses, leg ornaments, headbands, perfumes, charms, rings, nose rings, festal apparel, mantle, uh, mantles, outer garments, purses, uh, Louis Vuitton, you know what I'm saying? I don't know why that just popped in my mind. Uh, purses, mirrors, fine linen, turbans, and robes. Now, maybe you're thinking, look, dude, this doesn't apply to me. I don't have any turbans. <laughs> and, uh, guys, I don't know if Amazon had a marketplace there or what, but evidently there was some good shopping in Jerusalem, okay? But listen, what he's talking about here is that the women had become like debased. They were, they were debasing themselves. Uh, and listen, women, and I know you know this, but just allow me to say it, they play such a great role in shaping the next generation. You know, the mothers, have I said Happy Mother's Day? <laughs> the, the mother's um, values are so critical and instrumental in their children's lives. And when the women of a culture, guys, the men are always pushing that direction. And, I, and I'm not trying to sound chauvinistic or sexist. Please forgive me if it comes across that way. It's not my heart. But ladies, in, in many ways, it's up to you to hold the line. Because the men are always going to push on you and always going to push. And I don't say that to uh, offend you, but to rebuke the men, really. But the men are always going to be pushing, and you've got to hold the line. And when a, the women of a culture become degenerate and debased, it just wreaks havoc on the next generation. But where there's godly conviction in the home, there is hope, great hope for the future. Now, before we leave this section, I want to say again, it's not sin to want to look nice outwardly. But let me ask you this, ladies, and, and you too, guys, because sometimes, I mean, can we just be honest, though, and say that as a general rule, ladies spend much more time devoting time to that outward appearance, you know, and, and the shopping aspects and getting those things. I mean, it's just, it just is what it is. I'm not saying that there's no men that have issues with it, but generally women have more of an affection for those things or a desire toward those things, okay? But I want to ask you this. In comparison, ladies, to the attention, and men too, but ladies, that you give to appearing attractive outwardly, in comparison to the attention that you, and the time that you take to appearing outwardly attractive, how much time 
comparatively speaking, do you devote to developing the attractiveness of who you are inwardly? There's a lot of time we can put on devoting, there's a lot of time we can devote to appearing attractive outwardly. But the question is, how much time do we devote to developing the beauty of who we are inwardly? Does that make sense? Peter said it like this. He said, do not let your adornment be merely outward. And then he qualifies it. You know, the arranging of the hair, the wearing of jewelry, uh, the putting on a fine apparel. But rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. Here's all I'm saying. Consider balancing the scales of adorning your inward person with the same attention to detail that you give to the outward person. Just consider that. When God's judgment came to Judah, everything was going to change. Instead of headdresses and styled hair, their crown would be infected scabs on their heads. And the Lord would uncover their secret parts. In other words, their obsession with appearance, love of luxury, and their desire for promiscuity made them ripe for judgment. Instead of being seductively adorned, they would be exposed and humiliated, and the Lord would take away the finery. And of course, all of this was connected to the coming invasions that I spoke to you of a little bit earlier. There would be such scarcity and disease. Uh, you, you know, the, the women would be raped and humiliated, and all of their wonderful accessories would be taken away. And they became prisoners of war, robed in sackcloth instead of sashes. Uh, you know, they were led off with ropes, you see. And rather than a sweet smell, there was a stench. And where there was beauty, they would be branded like cattle, led off to a slaughter. Look at verse 24. And so it shall be. Instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, baldness. Instead of a rich robe, a girding of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty. And your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty in the war. Her gates shall lament and mourn and she being desolate shall sit on the ground. Notice the repetition of the phrase, instead of, instead of, instead of. God will replace their captivation with finery and pride with the desolation of captivity and humiliation. Guys, this is how much God de detests pride and the, the lengths that he will go to to root it out, you see. So let's not fixate ourselves on outward appearance to the neglect of the inward person of the heart. All those things that we place so much time and priority on, guys, God can take it away in a moment. And no doubt, uh, one reason that the women of Judah and Jerusalem loved all the luxury and finery was because it made them more attractive to the men. 
you know, they could get a man or get some men, you know, by the way they presented themselves. But God says, your men shall fall by the sword. In other words, there will be a tremendous loss of life, loss of the men leading to complete and utter deprivation, desolation in their lives. They'll have nothing. They just sit on the ground. Nothing left. Now, guys, we're going to survey this chapter here real quick. Look at verse 1, chapter 4, because it connects, okay? And it's only six verses, so don't freak out. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, we will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Now, maybe some of you guys are saying, well, that don't sound so bad. But guys, the reason... This isn't that, I was thinking of this, this is terrible, um, not terrible, but uh, I was thinking of that song, I don't remember, some of you are older than me, so you'll know if it was Beach Boys or Jan and Dean or whatever, you know, two girls for every boy, what, who was that? Beach Boys? And you know, going to Surf City, gonna, you know, all that, uh, you know, just, uh, it, this is not that, okay? It's not like, woo, it's a party time, all, you know, this, this is not, this is the, uh, no, you see. Huh? More like Christmas shopping. Yeah, right? <laughs> Christmas shopping. But listen, the reason for there being so many more women than men is that all the men would be being put to death, lined up and slaughtered. And guys, because what you're seeing here is extreme because it would be typical for a man to take you know, and make a pledge, right? And, and offer a dowry and promise to provide for his bride. And they're saying, look, you, you can have as many wives. And the ladies are like, I don't care. It doesn't have to be just me. Take as many wives as you want. It just, you know, and you don't need to provide for me. I'll take care of myself. You know, I'll make my own way. Just let me be called by your name. Just take away my reproach. That is uh, the reproach of, 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 of being unmarried, and childless. By the way, in a broader application, just real quick here, I want to say something, ladies. We see here what can be, at least as an application, you see, uh, a real lack of wisdom and the fact that it is not good for women to be overly desperate for marriage. Okay? We've all known those who were so desperate to be married that they would just attach themselves to any wrong person. You know, any person who would just take away their reproach. Be careful, ladies, to honor the Lord in considering your spouse, okay? And those, these things would happen historically. We also see that it was just a foreshadowing of what would be fulfilled prophetically of those who would survive coming yet still the great tribulation just before Christ comes back to rule and reign over the earth. Look at verse 2. In that day, so we see here this prophetic uh, telescoping, zip bang, and now we're up before, you know, we're ahead of where we're at now. 
In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. You see this tribulation. Now, the branch of the Lord is a messianic title, speaks of Jesus Christ. The branch carries the idea of, of fruitfulness in life. Okay, and you can just look up John 15 verses 4 and 5. Verse 3, and it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called, underline it, holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Uh, when Jesus reigns, the fingerprint that will mark such a society, did you see it? I told you to underline it. It's holiness. Now, at the time Isaiah was writing this, the daughters of Zion, man, they may have been called beautiful. Uh, they may have been called fashionable or trendy, but they certainly weren't being called holy. Okay? But the fires of judgment bring cleansing, a purging, and purity. And guys, just to be clear, holy people aren't a special branch of super spiritual saints, okay? It's people like you, people like me. You just, you've been covered and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You desire to lead a life set apart to God for the glory of God. You are holy under the Lord your God. Now, uh, and we're going to finish here. I don't know who's, uh, maybe Abby's closing or, yeah. So if you want to come on forward, where was I? Verse 5, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion. This is Jerusalem. When you read of Zion, it's, you know, you're talking of Jerusalem. And above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime uh, from the heat uh, for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain. This kind of harkens back to the Exodus, doesn't it? You kind of have that Exodus vibe here. He says, when the branch of the Lord reigns, there will be the tangible expression and presence of the Lord in the midst of his people. Uh, the cloud of smoke, the pillar of fire, his people will be safe and secure. The Lord's protection will rest upon them, a refuge from the heat and a shelter from storm and rain. Listen, it's not uncommon for people to want God's constant provision and protection and presence, but those things don't come apart from his cleansing. Did you see that? First came the cleansing, first came the refining, first came the purging, his purification leads to restoration and reconciliation, both of which are found in Jesus Christ. Okay? The Word of God, ladies and gentlemen, the Word of God is constantly pointing us to Jesus. Believe on Him. 
be found in him. It is in Christ alone that we find help, we find hope, we find healing. Amen? God, how our nation needs your help and your healing. And so we pray, God, for our leaders. We pray for our citizens. God, that there be a great awakening in, uh, well, the world around us, a great revival in the church in the midst of us, God. And I pray, God, that we walk in holiness, leading lives set apart to you. God, that we would be light in this dark world that you've called us to be. And that we would honor you in both our words and our works. So so much, Lord, that you've given us to think through today. Lord, that we wouldn't uh, focus on who we are outwardly at the expense of who you're calling us to be inwardly. Lord, so many things. And we thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in you, having been washed and cleansed by you.